You're listening to See Air with Suleiman Ocheni. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I hope you had a lovely weekend. Anyway, without wasting too much time, let's jump into the advice portion of this advice podcast. First, my friends are so exhausting. I feel like a person should enjoy being around their friends, but mine are just a bunch of drama magnets. Every day there is a new crisis that they need my help with, and a lot of their issues really aren't that serious. I think that they are good people, but really, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to keep up with their antics. Is this something that a conversation could fix? Also, I'm aware that if I draw that line in the sand, then they are likely to not come to me when they have a real problem that I could help them with. What's the way forward? See, I guess I do not understand why these people are your friends. If they are such drama magnets and you are not, why are you friends? I feel like what you described is a difference in personality and I don't understand why you would be friends with people whose personalities you don't like. You ask whether this is something that a conversation could fix. Maybe. It depends on what the conversation would be. Do you intend to tell them, listen, I no longer have the energy for your shenanigans, because that would end these instances of them coming to you to ask for your advice. I also think it might end a lot of these friendships because I feel like this is a very normal part of friendship. Your friends are who you go to to vent. Now, I don't know whether they are doing it every single time you meet up and they are just so negative and it's taxing or if you just find their problems piddling. However, as I am talking, I'm thinking maybe the issue isn't just them coming to you for advice and to vent. Maybe it's that they need you a lot of the time to help them physically, like they need you to show up somewhere to fight for them or to help them move because they broke up with their toxic partner, you know, things like that. If that's the case, then yes, that's too much to ask. Again, I would say I do not quite understand why these people are your friends, because whether you are intolerant or they are overbearing, it's not working for you. So I would have that conversation, letting them know that you do not want to be their hero. And like I said, you'll probably lose some friends, but I think you need to lose those friends because it can be flattering when you are the one who everyone comes to for advice. But, and I speak from experience, it can get tiring when every time you meet up with certain people, all they're doing is asking for advice or help. Sometimes you just want to chill and relax with your loved ones, you know? You don't necessarily want to be in helper mood all the time. So have these conversations. You might lose friends. And if you're unhappy with the number of friends you have after that, then make some new friends. I understand it's difficult making friends in adulthood, but it's something you're going to have to do. However, this time, what you need to do is be intentional about the types of friends you are making. And what I mean by that is seek out people who are not always in crisis. Make friends with people who are stable. People have issues from time to time, but those kinds of people who have issues all the time, quite frankly, are tiring. So find people who are not like that. And also, an extra thing I would do, I would ask myself why I am friends with these people in the first place. I feel like that is some introspection that you could benefit from. Anyway, I feel like this answer has been rambling, so let me summarize it. If you feel like your friends shouldn't come to you with their issues, then you are wrong because that is a basic tenet of friendship and you should try to be more open to that. However, if they really are doing the most, then have those conversations and let them know that you do not want to be their unpaid therapist all the time. You might lose friends because of it, but it is what it is. Make new friends. Oh, and you asked whether if you have these conversations with your friends, you know, the ones who stay, will they not come to you when they have issues, like real issues? Yeah, that's probably what will happen. 
But that's the risk you run by having this conversation. They aren't going to feel as secure with you as they once did. So you need to weigh whether or not that is fine with you. Moving on to my next question. This is a heavy one. Um, My twin sister just tried to commit suicide and I am very angry. She didn't succeed and I'm so eternally glad that she didn't. But I am enraged that she would even consider doing something so selfish. Like she was really going to kill herself and leave the rest of us behind to mourn her. What was she going through that she couldn't come to any one of us in the family or one of her million friends for help? I really don't know where to go from here. My parents and I went to visit her in the hospital just after it happened. I didn't know what to say to her and I still haven't spoken to her. Do you know what I should do? Because I don't. Listen, first, I want to say how you're feeling isn't right and it isn't wrong. It just is. That you feel angry at her shouldn't make you feel any type of way. It's normal to feel this way. I say that in case you are being hard on yourself because of the way you feel. I would even go so far as to say that you are justified in feeling this way. Because this is a complicated one. So cutting your sister out for a second, what she did was selfish, like you said, on a level. She was feeling whatever she was feeling and took actions that she felt were going to alleviate whatever pain she was going through and ultimately didn't care about you or how you would deal with it. That is hurtful. So you have every right to feel however you feel. I would sit in that anger and communicate that anger to anybody but my sister. I'll talk to my parents, my friends, other siblings or a therapist if you have access to that. I would work through that anger because you need to get it out of your system. I don't subscribe to the school of thought that believes these kinds of feelings should be squashed down. I believe they need to be expressed and exercised because only then can you have true healing. Because if you keep pushing it down, it will come back up at some other time and it can be a very inconvenient time. Get through this anger and be there for your sister because a person who would even think of committing suicide is in a lot of pain, not to talk about somebody who would actually attempt it. Like you, I am glad that she failed because what that means is she is still here and can be helped. I hear a lot of people whose loved ones have committed suicide say they have survivor's guilt. They feel guilty that they couldn't help their loved ones. But you have an opportunity to help her through whatever she needs to work through. That might look like you actually helping her or giving her the tools she needs or pointing her in the direction of resources that she needs. Because at the end of the day, this is an individual journey. It is not your responsibility. It is hers. But you can help. She must have been in a really bad place to attempt this. And that's what you need to keep reminding yourself. I think it will help with your anger. Because you feel like she could have reached out to you at any moment to ask for help. But she didn't. So imagine how alone and isolated she felt that that didn't even occur to her as an option. She felt like nobody could help her. I know you're angry with her right now. But what she needs from you right now is compassion. I'm sure she feels embarrassed and judged. So don't reinforce that. Treat her with love. I would go to her and tell her that I love her and I am glad she's still here and I am here for anything she needs. And let me also say this. You mentioned that she has so many friends so you don't understand why she felt so alone that she couldn't talk to anybody about whatever she was going through. It is my experience that people who have a lot of friends don't actually have a lot of friends. I know that's a paradox but it's true and let me explain. If you know me, you know I talk a lot about quality over quantity all the time. I feel like having two friends who you can talk to at any moment about anything is better than having 15 friends who are just a step above acquaintances. I have found that people who have many friends spread themselves way too thin among these friends that they aren't even close to any of these people. And it's not that these people are not good people or the person isn't a good person. It's just that it's difficult to have intimate relationships, one-on-one relationships with people when every time you are with them, there are five other people around. I believe it's humanly impossible to have that many concurrent deep friendships 
Now, I may be wrong and there may be people out there who have 20 very close friends. I just haven't seen those people. So you may think your sister had a lot of support when in reality she didn't. So just be grateful that she's here. Thank whatever higher power you believe in that she failed in her attempt to end her life and try to help her get back on her feet. Also, it is very important to make sure that you are taking care of yourself because this is a really heavy thing that you're having to deal with. So don't sacrifice yourself to help your sister. Make sure that you are also pouring into yourself. Take a step back when you need it. Take time off when you need it. And I think you both will be fine in the end. Here is my next question. My issue is not really a relationship one, more like a personality issue. I've always had this issue since my secondary school years. I can't get people to respect me. I don't know what it is that I'm doing. People just tend to look down on me. Sometimes they even think I'm dumb. When I meet them at first, they seem nice for the first few weeks, but later on, they start looking down on me and treat me rudely. I have chronic anxiety, diagnosed in 2020, and because of it, I tend to appear nervous and visibly worried, and social anxiety is something I struggle with. I will admit that I have had some embarrassing moments, okay, maybe not so embarrassing, but moments when I would do something and people will question my intelligence. Believe me, I treat people wherever I go with the utmost respect, but it seems like I can't get the respect reciprocated. And because of this, meeting new people is almost becoming a phobia because I would meet a new person who I really like. They will like me, then after two weeks, they start acting different. So I don't really make new friends. And this attitude comes from people that I really like and would love to have around, which saddens me even more. So Suleiman, how do I get my respect back when I have lost it? And how do I stop caring about these people and what they think of me? First of all, I do think this is a relationship issue. It has to do with the relationship you are having with yourself, which I believe is the most important relationship you will ever have because it is the foundation of every relationship you will ever cultivate in your life. Now that I have said that, let me answer your question. I don't mean to sound like, you know, I am blaming the victim, but I think this has to do with you. I think there's something you are doing that is putting people off. I say that because you said this happens all the time. You know, sometimes we meet people and you just don't vibe after a while of knowing them. It happens. But if it happens to you all the time, as in every single instance, like you are constantly putting people off, then there's something about your approach that is making people lose respect for you. Now, I do not know what it is you are doing that is putting people off. And I would imagine you don't either. Otherwise, you wouldn't have written to me. So what I would do is I would ask the people closest to me in my life, you know, family, friends, you know, I would imagine you have one or two friends who you can ask. Ask them. You see me interact with people socially. Is there anything I do that is off-putting? Is there anything I do that you have noticed turns people off? Ask them and listen to what they have to say. And don't be defensive. You are asking these questions, so don't feel attacked by the answers. Listen to what they have to say and make changes in your personality if you can. Now, if you actually do not have any friends or people close to you who can answer these questions, I would go and ask one of those people who I feel have lost respect for me. I would go to the one who I feel is the most emotionally stable and mature and ask them, I have noticed that you treat me this way and it wasn't like that when we started our friendship. What changed? What did I do to make you change your opinion of me? And then listen to what they have to say. You also said that you were diagnosed with chronic anxiety and it makes you socially awkward, nervous and visibly worried. This right here could be your answer. People feed off each other's energies. If you are around them and you are acting nervous, 
people pick up on that and it is an uncomfortable feeling to be around. People don't like being around people who are uneasy in their skin. So perhaps that is what people are reacting to. So what I would do just generally, regardless of this issue, I will try to work on those anxiety issues. Get yourself to a place where your anxiety doesn't ruin things in your life. You will probably have some form of anxiety as do most people, but it shouldn't hinder the relationships you have. Also, it is possible that your anxiety is making you see things that aren't there. Perhaps you are picking up on disrespect where it does not exist. Now, this is unlikely because I trust you are well adjusted enough to assess your situation. I do not want to imply that because you have anxiety, you are not able to evaluate social situations or the people around you. But I just want to put it in your head that it's possible that you are overanalyzing things and that really none of this is going on or maybe it is going on but not to the extent you think it is so that is something else to consider so yeah i would ask a close friend who has observed me socially to let me know if there's anything that i do that puts people off and i also want to say just generally if you have a strong sense of self-respect people will respect you they may not like you, but they will respect you. It has always been my experience that people who get disrespected need to work on their self-esteem. That is something you might want to work on with a therapist or there are exercises you can do, a lot of which are online. So to round up, I want to say that the fact that people feel it's okay to disrespect you should make you feel like it's okay to cut them out of your life. It doesn't matter that you act weird from time to time. Nobody has the right to disrespect you. So the fact that people are disrespecting you shows you who they are. And I don't think you should have these people in your life. Cut them out and move on. At the moment, I think you need to work on yourself and stop focusing on making friends for now. Develop a better relationship with yourself. Like yourself however weird you are. Because all of us are weird, really. And only after you've done that can you then try to move out into the world and make friends. I think if you actually do the self-work, the self-development, you'll have an easier go of making genuine friends, which is important. So, good luck. My next question. This may seem like a low stakes question, but I am truly concerned. My 15 year old daughter is an extreme introvert and strongly dislikes big groups of people and large events. She finds it difficult to make conversation and is seemingly uncomfortable even with talking with some of her classmates, even those she has known for years. I am extremely worried about her and how this will impact her in the future. Ever since she was little, she has been very serious and I would consider her relatively unapproachable. It takes her many years to get fully comfortable with a person and to start opening up to them. Once you get to know her, however, she has a host of wonderful personality traits. I have had numerous talks with her about getting out of her comfort zone. I've tried everything from yelling at her to reasoning with her, but nothing seems to work. All I want is for her to show that she is a human and not a machine. For some reason, me saying this seems to bother her because, as she told me, she does not think of herself as a robot who is devoid of emotion. And she is sick of people like me saying that she is. It's difficult for me to see her in any other way. However, she rarely expresses strong opinions with me or her father and often shuts down and refuses to let us know what she thinks during some conversations. She volunteers at a local natural history museum, which has been great for her. She is passionate about the subject and seems to enjoy interacting with visitors, other volunteers and her supervisors. She claims that this is evidence that she can be outgoing and social when she needs to be and doing so just takes more effort. But I am not convinced. I would like her to put this much effort into social and casual relationships and not just ones where she is expected to perform some kind of task. How can I get her to change her personality so she opens up more easily and enjoys social interactions and gatherings more? See, honestly, this question really triggers me because I am an introvert and I can't tell you how many times I have found myself in this exact same situation. 
I don't know what it is about extroverts, but they try to make introverts extroverts, and you rarely, if ever, see an introvert trying to make an extrovert introverted. The world is diverse, with different types of people, so I don't understand why extroverted people won't leave introverts alone. I don't know why it's such a difficult concept to grasp. Not everybody wants to be around people all the time. Some people need to withdraw and recharge. It has nothing to do with being shy, like your daughter says. When she wants to be, she can be outgoing, but there are times when she just wants to be by herself. Introversion, I like to compare it to a phone. If your phone battery dies, there is no amount of praying or hoping that will get your phone back to 100%. You need to go and plug it in and wait for it to recharge. That is exactly what introversion is. Your daughter's social battery runs down quicker than other people's, and when that happens, she needs to withdraw and recharge. Introversion is described as the tendency to be concerned with one's own thoughts and feelings rather than with external things. It is not a personality type that can be changed. It is a character trait that is fixed. It is as fixed as someone's blood group, as their eye color, as their skin color. It cannot be changed. There is so much value in people like your daughter. Introverts are always in their heads. In other words, they are always problem solving. Introverts tend to be hyper self-aware and understand how they affect the world. Introverts are rarely those people who go around offending people and not understanding why because they think very deeply. These to me are all good qualities for a person to have. I'm not saying that extroversion is bad or that introversion is better. I'm just saying that there is value in both. Your mindset surrounding this whole thing is totally wrong. You will find, if you have children, that your daughter is the peacekeeper between all of them. Because introverts tend to excel at human relations, they understand people, and like I said, they are problem solvers. My advice to you is, instead of trying to change your daughter, try and love her. The person you should be trying to change here is yourself. You are the one that there's something wrong with. I'm sorry, that might sound harsh, but I say that because you cannot accept your daughter for who she is. And that is something I see a lot of parents do. They try to make their children's extensions of themselves. They cannot accept that their children are entirely different people from them. Just be grateful that you have a daughter, that she's healthy and happy. There are so many people out there who want children, who do not have them, or who have lost their children. You have yours, so love her and accept her for who she is. That brings us to the end of the advice portion of the podcast today. So I'm going to move on to my fact of the day, which is, did you know that after a cockroach touches a human being, they actually go in search of water to wash themselves? I actually find this to be so offensive because how can you, a cockroach, a creature that lives in filth, like you literally crawl through sewers and live in trash. How can you be disgusted by touching a human being? I find this so offensive that it has stuck in my brain ever since I read it a couple of months ago. I think about it at least three times a week because it's so crazy to me that cockroaches are disgusted by human beings. I almost wish I could communicate with them to tell them how ridiculous they are for this. Anyway, let's move on to my week in pop culture. My first story. A Kenyan woman called Nima Lasalo has been arraigned for allegedly fracturing her neighbor's fingers during an altercation. However, Lasalo denied the charges, claiming that her neighbor has been stalking her and making unwelcome sexual advances at her despite knowing she is married. Lasalo was charged alongside her husband, Benedict Likoli, with jointly causing serious injuries to John Kibunja after they allegedly beat him up for reportedly stalking her. She told the court that her husband works as a bodaboda rider, which is an Okada rider or a bike rider, if you don't know, at night. And Mr. Kibunja, who is their neighbor, has been taking advantage of her husband's absence to seek sexual favors from her even after she warned him. First, I want to say that I do not condone violence. However, I really like this story because in life, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. 
Of all the women that this man saw in the community, it was a married woman he decided to go and chase. A married woman who had told him no severally. Like I said, I do not condone violence, but considering how women are often sexually attacked by men like this woman's neighbor for turning them down, I think it was right of Nima and her husband to be proactive in this situation. Since she had told him that she was not interested and he kept coming back to disturb her, this thing could have easily escalated. The story could have been that this man raped her when her husband was away. And I want to commend the husband for taking his wife's words seriously because we have heard so many times stories like this when a woman would tell her husband that somebody is sexually harassing her and the husband will turn it on the wife and say that you must have done something to encourage this behavior. So I am glad that they took action because now if any other men in their community who have had an eye on Nima hears this story, he will know that she is not the one. So I commend these people for standing up for themselves and doing what they needed to do to keep themselves safe. Moving on to my second story, President Bola Tinubu is asking Nigerians in the diaspora to come back home. He has encouraged Nigerians in the U.S. to rise above failure by having a change of mindset to success in all their endeavors in life. Tinubu gave the advice at a presidential town hall meeting with Nigerians in the diaspora this past Wednesday, the 20th of September in New York. The town hall meeting was organized by the Nigerians in Diaspora Commission, NIDCOM, on the sidelines of the 78th session of the UN General Assembly. He said, quote, We need you back home. Nigeria has arrived. Forget the frustration of the previous year's leadership. End quote. I'm sorry, but where has Nigeria arrived to? Things in the country are dire. People are suffering. People are not able to feed their families. People are legitimately dying because the country is so hard. Fuel prices are up, which in turn has made everything else skyrocket. Let me put it this way. The minimum wage, that is the lowest the government is allowed to pay an individual, is not enough to fill a car's tank even once. There are no jobs. People are really struggling. So I find it quite laughable that the president is telling people to come back to the country. He is speaking to people who have left the country and made a name for themselves outside the country. People who have found success outside the country. He's telling them to leave that success and come back to the country where there's nothing for them. How does that make any sense? Who in their right mind would leave prosperity to come back and suffer? Nigeria is a very difficult place to live. Anything you try to do is an uphill battle. Is it government work? That one is hard to get. Then if you now get it, the salary is low. In fact, I have a friend who just started a government job and she was told that for the first four to six months, she's not going to get paid because she's on probation. What kind of nonsense is that? Is that what somebody should leave an established career abroad to come back here and do? Listen, I personally do not believe that the government should create jobs for everybody. Like, looking for a government job, I just personally, I think it's folly. So let's even leave the whole government job thing to the side. Now, if you want to go into business, the economy and society will help you kill that business. There's no infrastructure in place to help businesses thrive. What the government should be doing, instead of looking for ways to create government jobs, should be looking for ways to make our society conducive to business. Most businesses depend heavily on electricity, yet electricity supply is nonsense in this country. If you are farming, getting your produce from the farm to the market is difficult because there are no roads. What if you want to work online? Our telecommunications sector is rubbish. To succeed in business in Nigeria, you need to be ruthless. And I have to say that not a lot of people have the grit required for that. So I wouldn't advise anyone to leave a career that they have established outside Nigeria and come back here because I'm not one of those people who believe you owe your homeland your life. Yes, we should all respect where we come from. But at the same time, if where you come from is stifling you and you can do something about it, then do something about it. What I would say to the president is that talk is cheap. It's not enough to ask Nigerians to come back to the country. Do something to show them that you want them back here. Create a conducive environment for them to come back. Because in my experience, Nigerians want to be in Nigeria. 
I know people who swore that they would never go and settle outside Nigeria. People who said they would live here no matter what happens. However, things have gotten so bad that those people have found a way out of the country. Because life gets real very quickly when you are not able to feed yourself, when you are not able to feed your children. So of course, people will go out to look for greener pastures. That is simply how it is. So the president can't just ask Nigerians to come back without doing the actual work to entice them into coming back. Things just do not work that way. Now, my next story is related to the previous one. The National Postgraduate Medical College of Nigeria, which is responsible for training postgraduate medical doctors in the country, is complaining about the continued exodus of medical doctors abroad in search of better pay and favorable working conditions abroad. The college president, Professor Aki Osibogu, lamented the low enrollment of postgraduate medical students to train owing to the continued emigration of doctors. Listen, brain drain is not a difficult concept to grasp. If I am qualified to do a job and you will not allow me to do that job here, I will go somewhere else to do that job. Or you are not paying me what I am worth. I will go somewhere else that will pay me what I am worth. It's very simple. First of all, in Nigeria, we do not have the facilities to train these doctors to where they need to be. To meet world standards, we do not have the facilities for it. Instead, our government officials will be embezzling the money that is earmarked for these things. So these young professionals, these talented young professionals, will go where they can get the training they need, where they will get employment, and not only employment, where they will get employment that will pay them what they are worth. I know of someone who was in Nigeria here. He was in tech, so it's a little different. But he was working for one of these major banks. He was running their whole mobile banking infrastructure, and they were paying him 800,000 naira per month. Then a U.S. bank came and poached him and offered him 10 times what he was making. I did not say two times what he was making. I said 10 times what he was making. That is times 10. If you were the one, would you turn down that offer to stay and continue working for one nonsense bank that does not give you the tools that you need to do your job and are underpaying you on top of that? Nobody in their right senses would do that. In Nigeria, we have people with high demand talents just wasting away. If companies in other countries see their value and want to pay them their worth, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We have all these hospital executives, all these tech executives who don't even know the work of the industry who have nothing to do with the day-to-day -day affairs of their companies, making away with hundreds of millions of dollars. Meanwhile, the people who are doing the actual work make peanuts relatively. Why won't they leave? And this problem is a serious one that needs to be addressed because we still have a few doctors in the country now, so things are still kind of fine. As it is, we have hospitals where specialists come once a month. So if you have a head injury and you go to the hospital, they'll tell you that you should wait for the neurosurgeon to come, that he's going to be in in three weeks. So with your head injury, you should wait for three weeks. But at least we still have that neurosurgeon who will come in three weeks. What will happen when there is no neurosurgeon at all? Our leaders really need to sit up because I do not know whether they don't know what they are doing or they know and they don't care. They are running this country into the ground and although they will not have to deal with the consequences most likely, their children and their grandchildren will definitely feel it. Because every sector in this country is failing and if care is not taken, we'll get to a point where our society will grind to a halt. And that won't be good for anybody. Now, my last story is a rehash of something I talked about last week. The whole Oprah and The Rock Maui fiasco. Just bear with me while I talk about it one more time. As of last week's episode, all I'd heard about this whole thing was that these people are rich, so why don't they donate? That they have rich friends, so why don't they ask their rich friends to donate? Now people have dug deep and have come up with more complaints. To be quite frank with you, I am tired of this issue. But every time I come across a video or an article about it, I stop and consume that content because I feel like maybe there's something I'm missing that I do not understand. I need someone to explain to me what the outrage is about. I'm really open to someone changing my mind and nobody has been able to do it. 
So please, I'm going to talk about it. And if you can explain the issue, please write to me or send me a voice note via email and explain it to me because I do not understand. So what I'm going to do now is take all the issues that have come out one by one and dissect them. And I'll try to do it in very layman terms. So here we go. People are angry at Oprah and The Rock because of the type of charitable organization they set up, which is a 501c3. How I understand it, a 501c3 is one of the 29 types of nonprofit organizations you can have in the United States of America. What this means is that it is exempt from paying taxes and individuals are allowed to take tax deductions on charitable gifts to a 501c3 organization. So basically what this means is that of the $5 million that Oprah put up of her own money, she'll be getting, I'm not sure whether a portion of that money back or the entire amount back. And people are angry about this. My question is, is it Oprah that invented 501c3? Did she lobby for this kind of a provision for an organization? No. She met the system in place and she is using it. People are also saying that 35% of the money raised by a 501c3 will go to the victims while 65% will be used to run the organization. Again, is that of Oprah's doing? There are people working at the organization who need to get paid. Because I would imagine it's not Oprah and The Rock who are going to be sitting there on a computer doing data entry for the organization. They are going to have to hire people and these people are going to need to be paid. There are running costs of the organization. You know, the building rents, electricity, um, air conditioning, all of that. It costs money. So I don't know why this is such a problem for people. Next, the United States government has pledged $95 million to the people of Maui, you know, the victims of the wildfire. But they do not give this money directly to the people. What they do normally in situations like this is they distribute it among charitable organizations in the area to do the necessary work. So the People's Fund of Maui is going to get part of this $95 million. Nobody knows how much yet, but they are probably going to get a cut from it. And people are angry about that. Again, is it Oprah that lobbied the government so that it is their policy that they share the money among charitable organizations in the area? So if the federal government is going to give them money to do their work, should she say no? Should she turn down that money? And finally, people are saying that she has land on Maui and she's not allowing the victims of the wildfires to come onto her land. So therefore, she's a bad person. To that, I say... When you have your own land in a disaster zone, you can decide to have as many of the victims as you want on that land. Until then, stop telling people how to use their own property. So because she wants to help the people of Maui, that means she should give everything that she owns to them. So she should become the patron saint of Maui. I don't know what is wrong with people. You know, they say the easiest money to spend is money that is not your own. You will sit in your house and be dictating how people should spend their money or how they should use their resources. If Oprah doesn't want people on her land, that is between she and herself. She knows why she doesn't want it. It's private property which she bought. It wasn't gifted to her by the people of Maui, nor did she steal it. She paid cash for it. And if she doesn't want people there, she doesn't have to have them there. Now, I want to say this. I am more socialist than I am capitalist. I do not believe that somebody should be able to wake up and determine the trajectory of a country simply because they are extraordinarily wealthy or they have some sort of influence that majority of the population does not have. However, this is the system we currently have. This is capitalism. This is how it works. Until we do away with it, this is how things are going to continue to be. Is it a little unsavory? Yes. But this is the system. Oprah did not create it. She is just taking advantage of it. And I'm sorry, I cannot be angry at somebody for refusing to leave money on the table just so that people can say that they are a good person. Also, I think this smacks of racism and misogyny. Yes, I said it. Men, white men, white men billionaires have been doing worse than this for centuries. And although people have complained, it hasn't been anything like I am seeing with this. 
Then all of a sudden, a black woman, one of the few black billionaires on the planet, does something that appears a little off and people are coming for her with such vim. Where are the hundreds of think pieces about the atrocities that billionaires have committed and are continuing to commit? Where are the six-part TikTok videos disparaging them? And to drive my point home, let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. You know the American Republican Party, you know they are pro-guns. They have always been pro-guns. It's part of their identity. But in 1967, when the Black Panther Party, who were a black power political organization, decided to arm themselves, all of a sudden, Republicans came down with very strict gun control legislation in California, where the Black Panthers organized. So it was okay when white people were carrying guns to intimidate people, but the second black people strapped up, it became a problem. I think that's what is going on here. I think it's kind of like, how dare she be one of us? And I, for one, will not participate in that. And like I said, please, if I am wrong, if I am not seeing this thing correctly, let me know because I want to understand. Now it is time for In Case You Missed It, the segment where I play one of my hot takes that I posted somewhere on the internet over the past week or even earlier. Why? In case you missed it. See, when I give people dating advice, I usually tell them not to discriminate as much as they would want to because that, that way they will have more options. But there is one aspect of dating that I think people should discriminate and discriminate harshly about. And I am talking about self-esteem. And I know that a uh, term has been thrown around over the years, self-esteem this, self-esteem that, but it's only because it's very important. So if you are someone who has worked hard to develop their self-esteem, their self-respect, do not date anybody with low self-esteem because you are only doing yourself. And let me tell you why. Because people who have low self-esteem see themselves as not worthy of love and affection and attention. They feel like in order for them to get someone of value, to give them the time of day, they need to trick that person into falling in love with them. So if you have high self-esteem and you recognize that this person is a human being and they deserve respect off the bat, you don't need, they don't need to prove themselves to you and you're giving them your time, you're giving them your attention, that person with low self-esteem will not start looking at you with corner eye because they believe that there's something wrong with them. So if you cannot see that something that is wrong with them, that means there's something wrong with you. So they'll not be looking at you like you don't have sense. They'll be treating you anyhow, anyhow. So you need to find someone who has a healthy opinion of themselves because it's not only about loving somebody, it's about whether that person is ready to accept that your love. Self-esteem is very important. This week, I am jealous of you if you haven't seen Succession. Succession follows a very powerful family, a billionaire family that runs a media dynasty. I think the show is modeled after the Murdoch family, but don't quote me. You know, the Murdoch family of, you know, Fox. Basically, what I like about this show is that it follows the Roy family. So you have Logan Roy and his four kids and their families and everything, right? But the thing is, they are extraordinarily wealthy. So the family is treated like a corporation. What I like about this show is that you almost feel like you are really looking into the lives of a billionaire family. It is not over the top. The characters are annoying in the way that they are privileged, but it's not overdone. It's realistic in a way. The story is interesting and the relationships are equally so because you see Logan Roy, who is a really hardened businessman. He's really shrewd in the way he does business. But you can also see he has a little bit of a soft spot for his kids that peeks through every once in a very great while. And although his kids are at each other's throats most of the time, they have moments where they band together. And it's really like sweet and touching to watch. It's a really good show because it doesn't feel like they are acting. It's so realistic, like it's that well done. So yeah, go and watch it. If you're the kind of person who likes the general content I create, I think you would like this show. And with that, we come to the end of this week's episode of the podcast. I am your host, Suleiman Ochini. I would love, love, love it if this podcast could be a conversation between you and I. So if you have a question, anything relationship related that you need help with, please send it to me via email. You can write an email or record a voice note and send that to me. 
Remember, if I treat your issue on the podcast, you will be anonymous, so I will not expose you. Equally, if you have any feedback, any additions or subtractions from what I had to say on this week's episode of the podcast, you can also reach out. Email me at suleiman.talks at gmail.com, which is spelled S-U-L-E-I-M-A-N dot T-O-K-S at gmail.com. You can also DM me on Instagram if you would prefer that. I am Suleiman underscore talks on Instagram and TikTok. You can also follow me on those platforms for more relationship advice. The voice you heard at the beginning of this podcast is the lovely Fatima Beta. The theme song you're listening to right now and at the start of the podcast is by Coma Media on pixabay.com. Thank you for listening. Catch a brand new episode of CN next Monday. So until then, bye.